down, buckle up and turn the volume to 11. This is the Auto Action Rev Limiter with Auto Action's Bruce Williams and Paul Gover and your host, Andrew Clark. Welcome to the Auto Action Rev Limiter and the week after the Gold Coast 500 and the Mexican Grand Prix, one of which has a live title and the other one's on life support and needing a bit of Las Vegas razzle-dazzle to breathe some life into it. But first, I got to go to Brazil this weekend. So to help me with this and more, I'm joined by Auto Action's Bruce Williams and Paul Gover. Bruce, how are you tonight? I'm well, Andrew. Um, yes, it was a big weekend of motorsport. There was lots going on. So, Bruce, you you spent the weekend at Calder Park for the uh, for the meeting there. What was how are they going there? It's um it's coming along nicely, I hear. Um, yeah, I, I popped out there on Saturday. It was the first time that uh, Victorian State Race Series has had an event out there since 2008. So. The team out at Calder had worked very hard. They got their Motorsport Australia um, state license, and uh, yeah, they're away. It was it was good. I mean, it's it's all still low key, and they're building up to a um, to uh, improve the place. But um, you know, considering a year ago the place was derelict and closed, uh, it's uh, it's been a big twelve months. Yeah, we might get a little bit later to a conversation I had with Peter Shibiris over the weekend, but uh, we'll come back to that later because we've got to say uh, hello to Paul Gover, who apparently was on the Gold Coast with me, but I didn't get to see him. Uh, I managed to hide from you, that's all, Andrew. Um, and I can say I did actually speak to Rodney Jane uh, on Saturday at the Gold Coast, and Bruce, he was well impressed that you had gone out to the track. He was quite surprised you had, and uh, and then he had to rush off because he was driving in the Carrera Cup race. Um, he's looking pretty fit. I guess all that painting and cleaning out at Calder has got him in good shape. Well, I we'll get to the Carrera got- Cup stuff a bit later as well. Yeah, I think it might have to do with all the extra uh, lawn mowing and uh, paper runs that he's got to pay for the damage to his Porsche that uh, he seems to collect every weekend they race. It's pretty bad in Porsche land. But it's pretty good in supercars land. It is. What a cracking weekend of car racing we had for supercars. So uh, before we go to our break, I'm just going to quickly ask the question. You can give it to me in as long or as short an answer as you like. Have we solved the parity problem? Go well, for it, Andrew, if parity is a measurement of um, of performance on the track from the point of view of uh, two particular brands being able to compete and uh, potentially win a race, I think parity has been uh, certainly got close to being achieved because we had uh, uh, Camaro on uh, pole position for one race and uh, finishing second in uh, two races with two Ford wins. So I think we're pretty close. What's a bit different line from you because you've always been saying that uh, that's sporting parody and that we're a technical parody sport. So have you changed your tune? No, no, no. I still think at the end of the day, the two best teams uh, are, are leading the championship. And I dare say, and I'm being controversial here, that if um, Erebus and Triple Eight were running Mustangs, I think the balance of the results would be significantly different to the way it is now. But. You know, the fact that two separate Ford teams won on the weekend is, and uh, both of the two cars that are leading the championship or fighting for the championship had two second places means it's pretty equal. Well, we can have a chat about that, PG, because I'm not convinced necessarily that the two best teams are Triple Eight and um, Erebus. I reckon oh, some I of those short teams. You are complete. I don't know what you've been drinking, Andrew, but it's not what we drink because the two best teams are still running one and two. I think the the parity thing is still out because uh, really, honestly, 
is Gold Coast an, an aero track? Well, I would say no, and they got aero advantages. I think probably the changes they've made helped them a bit with their rear tyre, like, you know, life of the rear tyres. But are things solved? We won't know till they put them in a wind tunnel in America. I think if well, you listen back, if you listen back to what we talked about last podcast last week, I think I predicted uh, that the Mustangs were going to be pretty quick up here, up there at the Gold Coast. Might have even predicted that Cam Waters might have had a good result, which he did. Um, I think you're right. I think the parity measurements probably got nothing to do with the results. I think that at the end of the day. Um, both the uh, Grove team and the um, Tickford team managed to get two good setups in two good cars with a couple of experienced drivers who um, delivered on the results. But the two white sharks lurking in the pool were still there to clean up and uh, when it counted. Absolutely. But then brings back my question earlier, which is that um, if those two teams, as in Penride and uh, Tickford, are running with an inferior car and yet they've won the races on the weekend... Do we really are we really confident that the only two good teams in pit lane are Erebus and Triple Eight? No, of course not. Once it look, hey, it's a fact as well. If you qualify well at the Gold Coast, it's much easier to hold blokes off, as we saw with Davey. Let's take a shortcut, Reynolds, on Sunday afternoon. Although I did speak to him today, and he explained a bit about what was going on. Actually, Bruce, it'll be interesting to get your take on that after we've had the break, because uh, he brought up something which I hadn't thought about at the time, but. It does make a little bit of sense. Oh, are you going to trot out? You're going to trot out the bullshit line about the fact that if there's a Camaro following closely behind under your rear wing of a Mustang, that you lose all your rear braking performance. Is that the crap no. you're going to trot out? No, 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 no. Following closely behind's got nothing to do with it. It's got to do with the fact that Brody, if you watch him, was moving sideways behind him. And as you would know from your time on the Thunderdome and Andrew, as you would know from NASCAR days, if you do what's called a wipe, which is where you wipe the air off the back of the car, yes, it does destabilise the bloke in front if you move around at a critical juncture. Beautiful excuse. It doesn't change the fact that he could that he went straight on on a couple of occasions when there may or may not have been an opportunity for a pass. doesn't matter. The uh, people that are in control of the, uh, what, what's the word, the uh, driving standards deemed that that was uh, a reasonable thing to do. So anyway, let's um, take a quick break for our great mates from AC Delco. Hey, my name's Jared Hughes. I'm racing the AC Delco Toyota 86 in the 2023 TGR86 series. Hey guys, Aaron Borg, driver of the AC Delco Isuzu D-Max in the Super Ute Series. Hey, I'm Brock Feeney, driving the number 88 Red Bull Ampol Racing Camaro, supported by AC Delco. Hi, Craig Lowndes here. We all trust in AC Delco, and so should you, because certainty starts here. Check out the full range of AC Delco all makes auto parts at acdelco.com.au. Okay, welcome back to the Rev Limiter. We're going to debrief and discuss and analyse, do whatever we have to do with the Gold Coast Supercars round. Um, two great races. I thought it was sensational to see two cars cross the finish line, 0.2 of a second apart, and one of each brand. Um, what's your take on that, Bruce? Um, actually, I think they're two of the best races we've seen in a long time. You know, they were they were genuine races uh, with a couple of laps to go. It wasn't uh, clear which team or which driver or which car was going to uh, take the chequered flag. And uh, at the end of the day, that's what we want to see. We want to see a contest. And um, no, the racing was really good. It was interesting 
it was quite interesting the fact that um, that Brody and um, and Shane went into the uh, that round of the championship um, with point separation. They both had uh, two, both had a second and I think a fifth, and they're both exactly the same points as they leave the Gold Coast. But the racing was really good. It was really intense. Um, what I found really interesting was that in the first race, Shane was uh, quite um, aggressive and gave quite a few little pushes and little rubs coming out onto the front straight and, and got past a few people, whereas Brody was much more circumspect on on uh, Davy Reynolds. He obviously gave him a couple of bumps, but he was absolutely cancelled. Do not gain an advantage. So he never... Um, he never passed him, but I'd really like to see the mid-corner speed of Davy Reynolds' car on those last few laps because I reckon they would have been two or three or maybe five kilometres an hour slower than every other lap. I think Davy mm. was slowing down a lot more. Yeah, well, I think that um, that fact, that tapping factor, I think that's got a lot to do with the fact that if Brody's got something he loses, he's in front. Shane's got to get the spots, doesn't he? So um, he can't really sit around and wait, can he, PG? No, and that's the thing. Um, he he played the percentage game, which sounds odd when he finished second. But was he was it worth tangling with Davy and maybe getting car damaged or taken out or getting a penalty? Sit in second place, so he gave the ninety nine percent effort. I'm sure that if it had been Shane behind, Shane would have roughed up Davy a lot more than Brody did. But I think Brody had his eyes on the prize. And if you look at the points spread going in and this point spread coming out, he played the smart game. Yeah, it was a good, uh, good championship battle, I thought, the two of them. And as you say, Bruce earlier, um, second for each of them and a fifth for each of them, which was quite astounding and very similar weekends in a sense because, you know, on um, on the Saturday we had Brody running a curb or getting a curb strike and uh, – a mysterious curb strike and losing his top 10 lap. And then on Sunday, we had Shane doing the same thing. So uh, very similar weekends, just different day for each of them. So uh, fascinating, fascinating event. Uh, we'll talk about the championship a little bit later. So we'll come back to the to the sums because we've got the um, we got all that in this edition of Auto Action. Um, Cam Waters win. Uh, it's as much emotion as I've seen from a team at a win in a very long time. How much do you reckon this meant to them, Bruce? Well, for the first time uh, in a long time, they didn't have a wheel fall from the sky. They didn't have uh, a fuel fire. They didn't uh, get run into. They didn't. Um, they didn't actually have some bizarre way of bringing themselves undone. They had genuine car speed, and um, Cam drove really well. And he he withstood the pressure of uh, of uh, Shane over the last few laps. But um, you know, he did it well. He he got pole position. He was strong. Um, you know, he, he drives that sort of track where you've got to pick the car up by the by the skirt and really drive it and manhandle it, and he drives that sort of track really well. And, again, the aero effect on a, on a venue like that is, is so totally minimal that, um, as we talked about last time, it's about chassis grip and tyre grip and grabbing the car by the throat and hurling it around, and, and Cam did really well. And you could see that he was very emotional and... Uh, Teddy from Thomastown was pretty pumped up. You know, they were pretty keen to give him a at least one win before he wanders off up into the middle of nowhere in his caravan to uh, disappear into the ether. Yeah, sure. But anyway, we'll see. <laughs> I did, he was pretty I, keen to get up on the podium. I did. And I bluntly asked him, I said, 
The word is, Brucey, I said the word is that you're going to be the new technical chief of supercars. Is that true or not? He said, definitely not. I said, yeah, but you've already sold your caravan. He said, only because I picked the wrong caravan. Does that sound a bit like a setup excuse? Anyway, he picked the wrong caravan and he's having to get something that's a bit more um, less aerodynamic for towing and more comfortable for parking. <laughs> yes, we've got to approach it like an engineer, don't we? Um, I, I personally, I found the the attitude um, or the the response from the Tickford team and from the drivers and from everybody. Um, ben Nightingale, I think, was about to cry, shed a tear in the whole thing. I think it was a, it's a pretty emotional release, that one. Um, not quite the same in the Dave Reynolds camp. It wasn't quite as um, emotional, even though it's the team's first win. Uh, I was kind of standing there expecting the same sort of thing, but it felt a bit muted. And I, I don't know whether that's because they were worried about whether or not there was a penalty coming for that last curb hop. I'm oh. sure they were worried about that. But the other thing is you've got to remember, Davey's not there next year. The future's, uh, the, future's the big, tall, young Kiwi fella. Um and I think Davey was a bit awestruck by the whole thing. I spoke to him today um, and he was much – he was as happy as I've ever heard him and and I think he had time for it to sink in. But he was a bit disappointed after the race as well with the uh, fire extinguisher. He thought he was going to have one that was going to put a big cloud of gas and he could come through like a superhero and instead he ended up spraying everybody with foam. It's a wonder nobody – that somebody didn't fall over and crack their head. Not that he would have minded, but he had fun. That's the main thing. Yes, it was a strange result. Very strange indeed. Um, so, what's your take, Bruce? On the um, we ran the curbs twice uh, while being while being hunted down by Brody. What's your take ran, on them? Ran the curbs. He short circuited the track, Andrew. He didn't run <laughs> the curbs. He just didn't turn. He went straight ahead while the other bloke was having to slow down a few gears and negotiate a left and a right and a, another left and. Davey just cruised on through. I mean, you know, he locked his rear wheels. If there'd been a concrete wall there, he would have visited. He would have visited uh, the concrete, and the race would have been over. Instead, he bailed out and took the easy route. So you think he should have got a penalty? He, he disguised it beautifully. I reckon if you do it once with three laps to go, probably get away with it. But twice in three laps, I think is start the friend stretch the friendship just quietly. Yeah, but you later bank your bank your curb strikes, and he banked them. But they're not curb strikes. Andrew. They that's weren't curb strikes. That that's cutting. Yeah, that's thing. not. That's not having a call. That's like going straight through the beach chicane. That would do. That would get well, you much more than a curb up, strike. They came up yellow, not turquoise or aqua or whatever the colour was for a, for a um, shortcut. They came up as curb strikes. Anyway, that whole thing with curbs and all that other stuff is utter bullshit. It is. It is. It is false racing. It's a load of garbage. Put bigger curbs there and let them go. If they drive over the curbs and they crash, well, that's their fault. I don't know what it's about. I don't know what they're trying to achieve. It is utter crap. The curbs are there to slow the cars down because they can't build a proper racetrack. And if the dickheads want to drive over the top of the curbs and wreck their cars and have crashes, well, bad luck. Bring it on. That's how it is. But stop this ridiculous thing where, you know, there's there's this invisible thing that you, a driver can't see, particularly when he's following another car closely, put some bollards up there, put some rubber bollards like they use on the Sydney Harbour Bridge or on the Parramatta bloody freeway or whatever, and if you hit the bollard, well, that's how it is. It's not going to wreck your car, but it's not going to do it any good either. 
There were a we number of drivers over the, the weekend, actually, who said they preferred the uh, old tie bundles because they could see what they were doing. Yeah, it's a ridiculous thing in the motorsport worldwide. I mean, it's you're watching curb strikes in Formula One, and that's just an embarrassment in the in the top motorsport class in the world. It's just a joke. So I'm with you, Brucey. I want curbs with consequences. Maybe we should do a T-shirt. Curbs with consequences, that's exactly right. But the thing about it is I, I, nobody can tell you why they have this stuff. It's it, it, it's just another rubbish thing. Like, seriously, it, I don't even know why we're getting worked up. It's so pathetic we shouldn't even be discussing it. And those people out there that just come up with these concepts, go and, go and go to Lunar Park. There's a particular place at Lunar Park that's full of different shaped mirrors. Go and stand in front of a few of them and get yourself a different perspective on life. <laughs> I think the thing about it is, from my point of view, it ruins it for the uh, for the spectators and the TV viewers. And the other thing is, how much time in the telecast did they waste talking about curb strikes? And oh, and he's got one, and he's got one, and we're keeping a list and da da da. Instead of you know getting on with what's happening in the racing. Oh well, at one stage there, they were able to talk about sorbent toilet rolls. Yes, I did notice that. There were so many people on the list that they had to get a roll of toilet paper to type them out. I would have thought that the blokes in the commentator's booth might have had computers by now. Well, I'm not quite so sure about that half the time, but anyway. Um, let's get to Davey Reynolds quickly. Um, first win in five years, the same place that he won 10 years ago. It's clearly a place that suits him as a driver and um, and certainly with Al McVean, his, um, his, his um, engineer. They've got, the, they've got a handle on these street tracks, haven't they? Well, I think I think Davey does like them. But the other interesting thing is uh, Al's not going with him next year when he goes to Team 18. He's staying. Um, and they did ask him if he wanted to go. And uh, Al McVean's staying uh, where he is, which tells you something about how he rates the potential performances next year of Grove Racing against Team 18, I think. <laughs> yes, well, it's interesting. Um, Matt Payne was interesting over the weekend. We've got a pretty good feature with him, if I don't mind saying so myself, Bruce, uh, in this week's edition. Um... It looks a bit like the uh, Grove Racing special. As it turned out, we'd already made the commitment to do the feature on young uh, Matty Payne, and uh, he... Um, he did a very, very good job on the weekend. He, he uh, got on the front row for the first race and was solid all weekend. And, yeah, like you said, I think Grove have got a lot of upside next year. And maybe the fact that they weren't as emotional about that win um, on Sunday might have more to do with the fact that they're a moder- you know, relatively new outfit. And maybe they think they've got a lot of uh, race victories coming their way in the future. I do know the one thing that I saw in terms of celebration was Brenton Grove going to um, one of the people in the team. Can you book me on a flight tomorrow instead of tonight? Now, mm. <laughs> I think he was. Uh, that would have been a big one on, on, on the night. Um, let's quickly go. Um, Brody and Shane uh, would have been nice to see them dicing on the track, but it was kind of like a battle at distance, wasn't it? Yeah, they never got that close to each other on the track. They both. Uh... Both had races of, of mixed fortune. Um, Brody got a curb strike for the first race and sort of came out of position 10 and got to five and drove really well in the first part of the race and the car didn't seem to have the pace. I think he said he damaged the front splitter for the last third of the race on Saturday, so he finished fifth. And then um, while uh, while uh, SVG was battling for the lead of the race and then on Sunday it was a bit of a roll reversal. Shane got the curb strike and Brody got... Uh, 
got the pole and, um, yeah, I mean, they never really crossed each other's path. It was quite interesting. But, you know, there it is. They both had exactly the same results over the day. So they, they go to Adelaide with exactly the same point separations they went to before the Gold Coast. And, of course, Shane got a little bit of a help at the end there by um, James Goldie and his um, spectacular spin and um, then his flick turn that took Scotty Pye out. Spectacular, Andrew. Is that how you'd describe it? Yep, spectacular. That's not how um, that uh, young uh, Scott described it. No, Scott Pye was interesting walking along pit lane at the end of the day showing everybody who could look at it on his phone the, the actual thing that happened. And he said, um, how did he not get a penalty for that? Pretty no. simple, really. Did you see Craig Baird? Uh, there was yellow flag when Pi came through. Mm. Yeah. But then again, he was probably looking out the front and hanging on for grim death down in that first thing. So, But, yes, it was interesting that uh, Bairdo, um, who doesn't normally rise to the bait very often on this sort of thing, um, took the time out just to say, well, mate, there was a yellow flag and really that does tell you to slow down, doesn't it? Yeah, but as um as Scotty Pye said, um, does that mean that you can do a dangerous re-entry if there's a yellow flag flying? Uh, how can you call it a dangerous re-entry when he was on the track? Dangerous yeah. re-entry is about getting back on the track when you're off the track. He was on the track and in a dangerous place, and I'm I I just think you need to have a little bit of perspective on this. Would he rather he had sat there and got hit by the next three cars? He was just trying to get out of the way in a place which is demonstrably dangerous. And uh have you looked at the history of that particular piece of track over the last however many years? How many people have been cleaned up there after it's, making um, some sort of mistake? It just reinforces what a complete lack of respect those drivers have for each other because back in the good old days, and, yeah, I know viewers, oh, back in the good old days, people would actually slow down for yellow flags. Yellow flags now mean mean, mean nothing to most competitors. Um, I think you'd find that um, Scotty hardly even slowed down, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's one of those things where um, nobody gets reported. These blokes are above the, uh, above the law when it comes to... Um, the way they drive and what they do, and so why should you slow down for a yellow flag? It doesn't well, mean anything. Yep, and particularly on a track like that where you can't see for a lot of the lap, you think you would be a little bit careful when there's a yellow flag hanging out because you don't know what's actually around the next corner, eh, Brucey? It's a, it was also a bit disappointing, I suppose, because it did have consequences for the championship because um, – Shane in the very last laps, last few laps of the race, was able to pick up a couple of positions. So, yeah, you know, it did have a, it did have a, a thing. But by the same token, it could have had a, a bigger ramification. It could have, you know, someone like SVG could have been taken out. But <clears throat> I don't know. I think they're both at fault. That's what I would say. I think uh, that um, there needs to be more consideration when people uh, see a yellow flag. And I think that the old flick turn is a very exciting way and very dramatic and very appealing to the ego and to the fans to uh, get yourself pointed back in the direction, whereas, you know, a little bit of uh, first, second and third might have been more appropriate at the time. He didn't, uh, he didn't even try and get out of the way. He just went straight to the old flick turn. But anyway, no doubt the viewers and those of who, who don't care about us will rant and rave no matter what we say. So um, let's move on. Indeed, indeed. Um, who else impressed you on the weekend, PG? 
Ah, uh, well, definitely not the Shell V Power guys. They after after looking like they'd turned the corner at San San Anabathist and at their home race. I don't know what happened, but the wheels fell off, and that was despite the uh, reappearance of uh, Doc Ryan Story, the former Supremo there, um, who has been unwell of late, but but turned up and tried to help out, but uh, obviously didn't have the solution for them. Um, I thought Matty Payne was terrific, um, low key. Did the job. Very, very impressive young man. Um, Brock Feeney was another disappointment for the weekend, PG. And uh, Andrew, he didn't do much. Was sort of lurking around in the the back half of the field nearly all weekend. And, you know, at the end of the day, probably could have done more to help. If he'd been a bit more on the pace, maybe done a bit more to help Shane. And and, uh, I suppose that went for Will Brown too. Will was sort of not really in the fight for much of uh, the weekend as well. So it's interesting that both of the uh, the uh, number twos in the teams, if you like, are both struggling, um, yeah, struggling what, in the field. What happened to Will Brown? I mean, I've never seen him make the sort of mistakes he's been making lately. Now, he, uh, he was one guy I caught up with on Saturday and he told me about the surgery he's had. He's actually had really bad nerve pain down his right leg for most of the year. Um, you would have thought that with the pain taken away, things would have been easier, not harder. So I'm not sure what's happened there. Has he taken his eyes off the prize where he is and thinking about the wonderful times that are going to come next year when he's Brock Feeney's teammate? Or or do you think he's going to bounce back in Adelaide, Bruce? Um, well, you, you, you'd want to hope for, their, uh, for both of their futures that they sharpen themselves up a bit and get back to the, to the front. But... Again, it comes down to the fact that those sort of street circuits, and that really is a true street circuit. It's not like, as we touched on last issue, the podcast, the Adelaide race, the the the, the Grand Prix circuit, they and even Townsville to a certain degree, they're not true street circuits. Whereas they're hybrid circuits. Whereas um, the Gold Coast is a true st- street circuit, and it does take a very very different level of driving. You have to be totally committed without being able to put the car on the fence, and that. That um, that can be quite challenging. So importantly, um, both Will Brown and Brock Feeney on their last two rounds have dropped completely out of championship contention. So they are now over the three hundred points behind. They're even more than three hundred points behind Shane Van Gisbergen. So they can't even finish second. Yeah, not but, too long ago they were contenders. Yeah, but it's it's not even about that anymore. It's now what are they contributing to the team's championship as well? Because the team's champion is, championship is very very tight. It's something that we most people don't talk about um, because they're really focused on the driving championship. But really, there's still a bit to play for there. Although talking to people again on the weekend, it's not the same because they're going to have this situation next year where. Um, the placement in pit lane is based on your current position in the championship, not last year's historic position in the championship. Yeah, I think that'll be very interesting to see it, um, when that comes into play. It's a, I mean, Barry Ryan's been very keen about this, getting number one because he wants the number one garage and then they come up with a system where he won't get it. It's almost like Roland's in control of that too. If I'm not going to be in number one, no one will be. Um, interestingly, um, Bryce Fullwood is now in the top 10 in the championship. How so, did that happen? Yeah, well, he just keeps along going, doesn't cock it up. He just keeps on clicking points. So, well, not a bad effort there from the um, from the from the young guy from Darwin. Yeah, no, they've had a solid solid year without being remarkable, I suppose, and that tends to be the way with BJR. And I noticed that 
um, you know, they didn't have particularly fast cars on the weekend. At one stage, I think it was one of the races, Andre was one of the first cars to pit and, you know, they were hoping that in clear air he might have been able to make up a bit of ground. But by the time everybody else soldiered back through the pits, he was basically in the same spot he was when he pitted. So hmm. that didn't work. But, um, yeah, they didn't have a particularly great weekend. Um, McCauley uh, got caught up in a couple of other people's crashes and and so he uh, he didn't have a particularly good weekend. But, no, it's uh, good to see the, the young bloke from Darwin having a, having a solid run. And so interestingly, while he sits ninth in the championship, Andre Heimgartner is sixth, and that's why Brad Jones Racing is third in the team's championship, which is a which is a stellar effort from those guys. And, and don't and don't they deserve actually to be the number three garage? They do, um, but then does Jack Smith and Macaulay mm. Jones deserve to be the fourth garage? You mean dragged along like the yeah. like the recalcitrant recalcitrant kids down at the shopping centre? Yes, I know. It's a, it's an interesting debate that particular one. All right, anything else we want to talk about on the Gold Coast for supercars? Is the parity debate still going, or is it just going to be resolved when they take the two cars to the wind tunnel? Well, well there won't way. have been a trigger on the weekend, Bruce. So nothing will change before well, Adelaide. So it'll be it'll all be happening ahead of next year, I reckon. Yep, there cannot be another trigger this year. So what we've got now is what we've got for the rest of the season. Obviously, there's only one round left. Talking to people along there, though, there is still yeah, still some concerns. Like Jeremy Moore thinks maybe they've got a little bit more of an advantage and, um, you know, the Tickford guys think that they're still behind a little on the engine. So there's still this debate going on. Clearly, we're about to solve it. We're going into the wind tunnel and we're going to no, have the We're engine. not about to solve oh, it. They're we're about going. to solve it. You sounded like a TV commentator then. We're going racing today. No, you're not. They are. Thank you, PG, <laughs> for correcting my, uh, my, my sub-editing me as I go. They are taking two cars to America. They're going to go into the wind tunnel. They're taking two engines to the transient dyno over there as well. So we are going to have it all sorted out. Next year we'll have torque sensors on the engines, so we'll know what's happening uh, in, in action as well. So the parity debate is still there at the moment, but I don't think it matters anymore because you can't make a change. What do you think, Bruce? Oh, it was just good to see a bit of racing and um, yeah. thank the Lord that the Ford blokes had a couple of wins and maybe the whinging and whining might stop for a little while. And... Um, yeah, we can just get on and enjoy the racing. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we all want to see. We want to see good, close racing. And um, the racing was entertaining on the weekend, even if it was only between a couple of cars in each race. But, uh, no, it was good. And, um, you know, the spread of, of results was interesting through the field. Um, next year, we're obviously losing a uh, – we're losing uh, one of the Fords. So, um, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they go. Yeah, I think the interesting thing for me with the parity stuff was that the the Fords actually hung onto their tyres okay. They didn't see a drop-off from the start of a stint to the end of a stint, and that's the first time this year that that's happened. So uh, I think it's made a big difference, even though it's a track that's not very aero-sensitive. Uh, I think it made a big impact on the on the ability for the Ford to go through a whole stint without degradation degradation or too much degradation or what are we calling it, deltas and degs and this and that's whatever. So, yeah. Sorry, I fell asleep again. Well, yep, while, we're, while we're talking about supercars, I see that part of next year's calendar has been released. They're, they're letting them out in little bits and pieces like a, a crumb trail. Eventually we'll get to the to find out when the last race of the year is on. But So what do we know about so far? 
Well, we know um, we're opening up at, at Bathurst, as we said last week. So in the um, the second weekend of the Bathurst Superfest, I think they're calling it. Um, so that'll be on the 19th of February. So we can all have a birthday dinner up there for me. We know, well, we don't are know. Are you paying the, or are you just inviting us and expecting a present? No, I'm expecting you to pay. <laughs> uh, we know we, well, we don't know when we're going to the Grand Prix, but we know when the Grand Prix is. So if we're going to the Grand Prix, we know it's middle of March. We know we're going to Taupo in April. We know we're going to Darwin now, and they released that date today, and it slipped the top of my head, but it's the middle of June. We're going to um, uh, Townsville on the weekend of the first weekend of July again, which means that uh, there's a few unhappy supercar drivers because they cannot do the Chicago street race this year or next year. Um, then we know when Bathurst is and we know when Gold Coast is. Um, so we're kind of halfway there, Bruce. But, oh, how, well. but how incompetent is it still that we don't have a calendar? And, gee, today's uh, by the time we're, we're out for the world, it's the start of November. And the other thing is uh, I've never been in a situation with any championship I can think of where they gave you a bit of a calendar. Not the whole calendar, but a bit of a calendar. And with yeah. giant holes in it as well. Because the Grand Prix, if, when you look at it, there's something in February and then there's something in April. Well, March is the Grand Prix. Yeah. And then we go June and July and then we go October and November. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I'm staggered that we cannot have the whole calendar in one hit. It's just, um, yeah, I don't know. it strikes me as strange. Um, I think anyway, – I think- I think it's time. Yeah, I was about to say, Bruce, get the whacker out because Barclay needs one. Did you get my whack stick back from uh, Loco on the weekend, uh, Andrew? I tried, but he kept hold of it. He said, I want to keep this stick. He said, Bruce, better get a new one. Right. Well, we'll have to go with stick parody then. That'll be the other thing. If he's having one and Bruce is having one, we we'll have to have parody for sticks. Although, although uh, I, I still think Bruce is a much better whacker than uh, than Larko. Oh, Larko's got political ramifications. He has to be a little bit careful. But it yep. was good to see him with a smile on his face with one of his blue ovals, a couple of the blue oval victories on the weekend, which was good to see. What about Wasn't... what about when Cam Waters was going out of the pit stop and he's standing behind it yelling, "Go you good thing, go you good thing." Yeah. <laughs> he does. <laughs> there does seem to be one set of rules for Larko and. Every set of rules for everybody else. I like the way that he ran around the car, pointing to the aero upgrades on Water's car during the pit stop. It was actually quite entertaining. Oh, it's fantastic! And then at the end, he was talking again about how little damage there was on the car, and the mechanics were trying to take the car away. And he's saying, "Leave that car here! I haven't finished yet." Exactly. Even though it was in park for me, so yes. uh, there you go. What other what other things did you like about the weekend up there, Paul? Is anybody like, interesting? Oh, there were lots of interesting people. I had a long talk with Barks. Oh, God. But, but Andrew, uh, Paul, I don't know that you're allowed to talk about what you talked about. We've had no, that chat. No, uh, most of what Barks and I talked about was off the record. But what I did say to him was, how long have you been here? And he said, 18 months. And I said, and can you please tell me what's changed apart from the app that doesn't work? He got very, he got very, he got very defensive about the app. He said it looks fantastic. I said, yeah, but it doesn't work, Barks. Anyway, but then we talked about a whole lot of other stuff, and I think in the next month or so, uh, just as they're going to finally roll out the rest of the calendar, I think we'll get the manifesto from Barks now because I think he's uh, had enough of watching and being told by other people. Um, he's decided he needs to get involved, so maybe uh, he's going to do a Cochrane. 
get out there on the front foot and start telling people what to do instead of listening to other people complaining all the time. That's very good. I look forward to it. It would be good. All right. Given that you can't tell us what you spoke about, let's move on to other things. So I'm just going to quickly wrap it up. So this is what happens for the championship, guys. If Brody wins on Saturday at Adelaide, Shane Van Gisbergen has to finish second or the championship's over. Um, and if we want to go on averages, all Brody needs is a pair of eights and he is the champion. So Even if, um, even if Shane wins both races. Correct. Yep. Um, and given Brody is averaging 5.0 for the season this year, you'd uh, pretty much back him, I reckon, to get a couple of eights. So uh, I think the battle is on. Um, Van Gisbergen is going to have to do his very, very best to hunt him down. Um, but uh, you wouldn't bet against Brody in current form, I wouldn't have thought. So that's the championship battle there. Um, Bruce, tell me about the Porsches and the Gold Coast because um, I kind of missed some of the stuff that went on and you told me and I thought, well, I saw a couple of cars coming back looking like pretzels. Apparently there was a few grumpy people up there. Andrew, I'm not sure what's happened and uh, some of the viewers and certainly Paul, you'll appreciate this, but Carrera Cup cars, the modern GT3 Carrera Cup car is quite an expensive thing. I think they're around about $400,000 to buy and uh, they're quite easy to damage. They're fairly... The new body shells, they, they seem to damage. They don't copper whack very well. But um, as one of my very close colleagues, in fact, two of my very close friends and colleagues advised me, is the driving standards in um, in Carrera Cup at the moment seems to be worse than what it ever was in uh, the Toyota 86 series. And, uh, yeah, there was um, five or six cars written off on the weekend and uh, not too many driver penalties handled out, although I believe one of the more seasoned veterans may have lost 25 championship points and um, heard he's got his uh, got a whack across the hand for his trouble <laughs> yeah I these these cars are very fast they're also very noisy did you notice our friend um, Peter somebody from a from a uh, from a mobile company was complaining that they were too noisy and they should put mufflers on them he seems uh, to have Paul, an, Paul. he seems to yes sir uh, sorry mate I've just I've, I've feeling a bit queasy, but um, they do have two completely separate exhaust systems and at the Gold Coast they're allowed to run then what's the, the noisy, the open system. So they yeah. do have they have two exhaust systems. They're allowed to run them. So that um, person who you may have mentioned is obviously not aware of that and ill-informed. Anyway, we can move on from that. No, um, but the other thing is a lot of the front, a lot of the cost in the cars when they do have a crash is they've got all these coolers and things across the front, um, which are hugely expensive. And I know that we've been to other street races where they've actually ran run out of spare parts. But um, I don't know what happens when they get on the Gold Coast. They just they just have a rush of blood to the head and seem to forget that concrete walls are are uh, a lot uh, worse than skidding off onto the grass. It comes back to what I talked about before about yellow flags. There were yellow flags being waved and people were arriving at the scene of the accident some seconds after the the track was blocked and still piling in. I mean, it's quite embarrassing because there's supposed to be a pretty high level of driving standard in a category like that. And for people to arrive at the scene of an accident when, you know, the cars have been stationary for three or four seconds and then pile in is just ridiculous. I mean, some of those cars are really badly bent and people were hurt and, it's just, it's, they need to have a damn good look at themselves and some of the drivers look need to look at themselves, but it comes down to driving standards as well. Why aren't these people being whacked over the knuckles with a stick when they misbehave? So because they're not, 
because the driving standards aren't handed out and they're not controlled properly, they just keep pushing and pushing and pushing until someone gets hurt. And it's a problem. It's a problem across a lot of categories. And, um, yeah, they need to sort it out. And that, But the Carrera Cup is a category that a lot of the drivers are very, very angry about. The... Um, the uh, the standard of that is is very is regarded as not being good enough. And so, speaking of wax, I understand that uh, a couple of the drivers decided to take the whacking into their own hands. Ah, uh, yes, there was a there was a bit of a it was in uh, sun the first race on uh, Sunday, I think, and uh, two of the more seasoned veterans, David Wall and um, young uh, Alex Davison, were having a bit of a dice early on and. Uh, Alex made a move on uh, David, and David decided to uh, shut the door on him. Uh, there was a huge pile-up. A lot of cars got uh, damaged, and um, Alex had a bit of a chat to David after the uh, race, and he decided to shut the door on uh, on David. In fact, he shut the door on him pretty hard and just about broke his hand. Yes, doesn't sound like much fun. Um, and any consequences to that, do you think? I believe there's been some championship points, but it's all a bit secret service down at the uh, the uh, Carrera Cup Lounge. They they like to talk about the positive things that go on. They like to keep the things that aren't so positive a little bit quiet. Hmm. Like uh, whiskey wabbits, they like to keep them down in the burrows when their things aren't very happy down there. <laughs> what they need, what they need is Elma Fudd turning up with a shotgun, mate. That'll sort them out. One of the classes that did amuse me and impress me over the weekend was the um, the Utes. Really? They put on a really good show. Did they? Yeah. You missed they them, were did you? crashing and bashing as well. I know, but that's what they're meant to do. Oh, right, okay. But the um, the, the one category that didn't have a lot of crashing and bashing up there and put on a good show and entertained people and got a lot of attention with their sports sedans. Yes. And um, it, we had uh, Alfettas and we had Audis and we had XF Falcons and we had Mustangs and all sorts of things, and we had um, young Cameron uh, McLeod sweep all three races amongst uh, in front of the season super uh, sports sedan competitors in a um, in a mark car, which I might add, viewers is uh, was only I think half a second off the fastest lap of a supercar, and in fact, really very similar in architecture to the supercar um, for about uh, a third of the cost. That's right, a third of the cost. Isn't it so good? Isn't it good to- though to see the work that Seppi, uh, that's Paul Sepernich, in case you're not up on these things. Um, Seppi's done some brilliant work, and somebody bothered to s- sit down and work out how many Seppi built cars were actually there on the weekend. I think it was 117 or something, um, but definitely a lot of cars that he's built, including a lot of the weld-up bits, kits. I, I'm, I'm a Lego person myself, so I'm not exactly sure what they were talking about, but apparently a lot of the build kits for even the super-duper cars were produced by uh, Paul Sepernich at Pace Innovation. So a lot going on for him for the yeah, week. Well, the majority of the chassis in the on the supercars field are actually fully constructed by... Pace Engineering, so Seppi's the uh, bloke who runs it. And, yeah, I mean, I think it's only Erebus really that um, that do their own chassis, but all the rest of the supercars, Pace Engineering would have probably put them all together, plus they build the mark cars. So, yeah, but getting back to young um, Cameron McLeod, I mean, he's really um, – if, if people aren't starting to notice him now, I'd be surprised because he's dominating in Super 3, and if it hadn't been for the fact that – his team underfilled his car at Sandown. He would have um, 
He'd be leading the championship in Super 3 in the Nissan that he races, and uh, he's won uh, races in marked cars all around the countryside, and uh, yeah, he dominated in the sports sedan race against the seasoned veterans. So it's a good performance. Yes, I did go down and have a chat to him. I did my 5,000 steps to have a conversation with him, which was good fun. But uh, um, just to correct you, though, Bruce, he was actually faster than the supercars. Oh, sorry, Andrew. Yeah, he was quicker. So that little Mustang is quicker than a supercar, which was um, quite impressive. So uh, it, It's an interesting car. It has a lot of similarities to the current supercar, but they were building them many years before. But where it does an amazing job is it um, has a similar transaxle and a similar sort of a chassis and whatever, but instead of each corner, each upright, uh, all four uprights are all exactly the same, front to rear, so the spare parts for those cars are very cheap um, and it's robust, it's durable and, um, yeah, only about 600 horsepower, but it's still able to do a pretty amazing job on the track. Yeah, it's a great class. I mean, just looking at the cars, it, it, it's just a special thing to look at that class. So I'm pleased it's on the national calendar. They're hoping to get on four, oh, sorry, five supercar um, races again next year, race meeting. So that'll be good for them if they do that as well because, uh, you know, the cars complement the supercars. And you've got guys like, um, like Cameron McLeod using it as possibly a different way to make it to supercars so long as they still get those stupid points they need for their super licence from doing other things. And what about that Alfetta? It's only about 57 years old and it's now won its 12th um, championship with Ricky Adello driving it. It's such an iconic car in Australian motorsport, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it's just amazing. And it looks um, good. It looks good. Yeah. It doesn't look like a Frankenstein. Some of those sports <laughs> sedans really do look a bit odd, but it it's just a great-looking motor car. Yeah, no, it's a good thing. Good thing. Anything else we want to talk about from the Gold Coast guys? Oh, oh, somebody else I bumped into, the new head of Motorsport Australia. Oh, did you? Yes, and what was amazing was uh, in a world where most people talk, what do they say? You've got two eyes and one mouth. Um, Spent a lot of time talking, two ears and and one mouth. He was actually walking. I saw him a couple of times. He's walking around listening to people and getting a bit of a take and, and being an everyman out with everybody. In fact, I was talking to Barks when he walked up, so I stepped out of the way. But um, he was actually very keen to have a listen to what people were saying and not necessarily about supercars. He was looking at other things as well. So maybe, maybe we'll be getting on better with, uh, with Motorsport Australia in the future, Bruce. Possibly. Well, we are going to sit down and have a chat with him shortly. He's agreed to that, so uh, that'll be a bit of fun. I'm going to move on from the Gold Coast if we're done. Yep. Cool. Could somebody tell me how much longer Sergio (laughs) Perez will be driving a Red Bull car? Well, I was wrong because I predicted he would quit in uh, in Mexico, but um, obviously the fans love him to death, and uh, and uh, yeah, and it was a dreadful weekend for him again. Totally dreadful weekend on a weekend when uh, our old good mate Danny Rick proved that he's back to his best, I think. Well, he certainly found some form, didn't he, old Dan Rick? So what do you think, Bruce? Is, is it going to happen? We keep getting think, told that he's there for that purpose. I think uh, Sergio uh, rehearsed a rather unusual exit strategy from uh, Grand Prix Racing. He, um, I think he uh, wants to go out in spectacular style, and he certainly uh, exhibited that on the weekend. I mean... His attempted move into the lead at uh, the start of the Grand Prix was was this was the act of a desperate man in who was overcome by the the fans wanting to prove to them all that he's a superstar, and all he did was make himself look silly. 
And um, if, you know, if he's there to support um, the number one driver and to deliver points and deliver podiums, he's not delivering on that job. And when you see someone like Danny Rick and um, and Oscar, you know, motoring around in, in far inferior cars doing a better job, I think his, his days are numbered. Yes, I would think so too, especially if the other cars can keep their progress going and Red Bull is actually challenged a little bit in there for that team's championship. But we're, wasn't, it, wasn't it great to actually see the whole the qualifying so mixed up? You know, you're sitting there watching and going, no, 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 any minute now, uh, poor old Danny Rick's going to get bumped down to about 16th. And he stayed there, you know, and, and even the Williams, you know, was pretty good. It was a, a very mixed up sort of a weekend. Um, oh, I was well entertained on the weekend, and you can't say that about many Formula One races recently, can you? Yeah, but the race did turn into a bit of a boring thing, though, didn't it? Well, that's only because the the, the Max managed to avoid all the carnage on the first lap. Well, and also because they were there was this great battle going on at the end between Dan Rick and, and um, George Russell, and they flicked over to show you know, Max Verstappen rolling yeah, around but, on his own. But they always, play. you know they're going to do that. Every single race in history, they've done that. Remember um, the spin, the Peter Jansen spin back in the dim dark days? I know I'm showing my age here, uh, viewers, but um, they managed to show Peter Brock going across the, sp- the finish line, uh, winning his umpty dozens uh, Bathurst race, while uh, Jansen was spinning in the background. You know, far better action. But, you know, uh, people want to – well, they want to watch the guy taking the chicken flag and there we go, it's all a done deal. I don't know why they have this obsession with it, but it does happen that way. We have split-screen technology. They could easily do it. I'm not defending them. I'm just saying that's another situation where they're just doing what they've always done and maybe it's not such a good idea. And yeah. one of the – not to mention one of the world's most boring and unpleasant racetracks ever been built. Ferrari, um, what is it with them? You've got a damaged car keeping a, a healthy car behind it. Are they not playing as a team? Do they not actually want to achieve anything? Well, I would have thought Saints should have just driven past him if it was that much slower. I don't think he got that close. Yeah, I don't know. It's strange to me. I think the, the, there's something wrong with that, that team in terms of not being able to get themselves organised. This has happened time and time again this year, whether on different tyres or damaged cars or whatever, and they just don't play the team game. So I think it uh, it's strange to me. Very you, think there, you think there might be a couple of petulant drivers there, do you reckon? Yeah. And absolutely. I think the other thing is you, you look at the reaction when one of them beats the other one in qualifying. Yes. You notice how they go straight over and clap them on the back and go, good on you, mate, no worries. Yeah, it's like their dog died when the other bloke <laughs> qualifies them. <laughs> Yeah, Ferrari uh, need uh, a bit of German influence. I've said this before. They only ever seem to do any good when they've uh, got some uh, nasty outside influence, some no, some some <laughs> non non Frenchy type Italian person in there who uh, gives them all a bit of a tidy up and a tweak. Otherwise, it's all too comfortable and nice. Well, it kind of feels like the drivers are actually dictating the terms rather than the team, which is a bit strange. I'm not sure that if you want to be a successful team, you can actually run it that way. Uh, Not unless you've got Michael Schumacher driving for you. And that's not going to happen anytime soon, apparently. (laughs) Is it Michael or a Michael Schumacher type? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. The only Michael Schumacher type out there at the moment is Max Verstappen. He's not going anywhere. 
No, he's not. Um, so the rest of the battle, I mean, Oscar was a bit bit flat, I thought, over the course of the weekend. I think the car was not right in the race. Yeah. And uh, nobody's talking about it, but with the amount of contact that he had at different times with different people, you'd have to say that car wasn't right. And for and for uh, uh, what's his name, Lando, I'm so spoilt to run him down that easily. There had to be something wrong because there hasn't been that much of a difference between the two of them in recent races. I think it was interesting hearing him talk about how his car just lost speed in the middle of the qualifying sessions and things, and they didn't know why. I mean. At one stage, the front row looked like it was going to be Dan, Rick, and Oscar, but uh, that didn't quite happen once the once everybody got going. So clearly, something a little bit amiss with the car. I would have thought he yep. did cop a whack a couple of times. I mean, Sonoda gave him two biffs before he finally um, gave up trying to pass him, and he got he got touched up in the I think in the first corner at the start of the race as well. So these yeah. cars are pretty delicate; they don't need a lot of damage done. And you're not talking like them being seconds off the pace. I mean the Formula One category is so close now that, um, you know, if you drop a half a tenth or a tenth of a second a lap, you, you're going backwards pretty quick because it's such a competitive category. Mm. Um, did we all see Lewis Hamilton's move on Leclerc? Yes, he's still keen, isn't he? He's got, he's, he's got his tail up, hasn't he? He's ready for the fight. It's well, I think see. he's also got his tail up because uh, George Russell's given him a bit of a, a hurry up as well. You know, he's got a couple of things going on here. And the other thing is he wants to establish himself as the dominant force. Now they've got the car pointing in the right direction on development before the start of next year. Well, I think he's pretty much done that. He's whipped George Russell lately, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, George hasn't looked as sharp as he had earlier in the year. Um, no. It's interesting, isn't it? Fernand, poor old Fernando's had the wheels fall off at, at his end and, and now the other old-timer is doing quite well. Yes, yes. Anything else on Formula 1, guys? Because I'm, I'm ready to move on from that. Yeah, no, we can no. move on. Vegas, Vegas will be entertaining. Vegas will be entertaining. That's a couple of weeks, though. So we've got um, Brazil up this weekend, which I think will be good. It's a I love the Brazil track, but um, I'm not sure that it's going to give us much more exciting stuff. But it'll be good. It'll to be interesting. The Clarence, in theory, should go really well in Brazil. Lots of long, fast corners in yeah. places, yep. although there are a few slow corners. But it'll be interesting to see how they go. McLaren's mm. are pretty good everywhere now, and you've got two young blokes pushing each other really hard. So you know they'll they'll keep edging forward. Yeah, what it is for me, it's about seeing what's coming for next year at the moment. So I think we're seeing the McLaren could be a nice car next year. I think the Mercedes looks like it's going to be okay. So, yeah, maybe maybe we'll get a better championship battle next year. Um, let's quickly flick through the NASCAR because we're down to the final round this week, or final race this weekend. So it'll decide the winner. So the winner will be between Blaney, Bell, Larson and Byron. So one of those guys, the one who finishes the highest, is going to be the NASCAR champion for this year. How many so, teams between the four of them, Andrew? Uh, how many teams? We've got a. Yeah. We've got one of each. We've got two two Chevs, a Ford, and a Toyota. Yep. So oh, good. But who's going to win, Andrew? You're our expert. We rely on you to tell us about all things NASCAR. Um, I think Byron's actually hasn't won one for a while. I think he's due to win one. So I think um, I'd be putting some money on William Byron for the uh, for the title. But it's is basically winner takes all, is it? There's none. Winner of, takes no, all. Yeah. Okay. Highest yeah. place finisher of those four wins the championship. Yeah, it's a good little system. It's like like having a grand final. I think it's great. 
But uh, but it only happens when you got thirty six races in a year, so uh, it'd be interesting. Well, now, right at the moment, how many supercars races do we have according to the calendar? Is Barclay uh, listening? <laughs> Is it five or six? Uh, we got four four rounds confirmed, haven't we? They haven't even told us. They haven't officially confirmed Bathurst 1000 weekend yet either, which is a bit strange. Um, we all know when it is, of course. Uh, Bruce, what's in this week's issue? Come on, give us a quick... Well, it's a, it's a big issue. We've got, uh, obviously, lots of uh, news and behind the scenes and in-depth um, features and stories from uh, the Gold Coast. Lots of people that you chatted to. We've got... Uh, a really nice talk with um, young Matty Payne from Grove Racing. There's been a lot of lot of time and effort and probably a lot of money invested by the Groves to get young Matty up to, to pace, and um, he's showing the sign. So you sat down with him and had a chat, so we've got a feature with him. We've got uh, a, uh, a really interesting feature on, a, on an old, an old Australian-built uh, sports car that was built in the late 60s called the Argo Chev. Our uh, historic man, Mark Bissett, has dragged himself out of the cupboard and uh, put together a really interesting feature. It's a quite an exciting car. It's quite an interesting car. It, it evolved from uh, the old days of a Cooper Formula One car from the early 60s. In fact, it, it bits and pieces of it derived from a car that Jack Brabham and uh, Lex Davison had raced. So that's a really nice feature. And again... It goes back, I think, one of the great things that I love about sports sedans and a lot of other categories like Touring Car Masters is every car is unique. They're built by individuals and there's lots of different ideas and concepts, um, unlike, I suppose, supercars, which is very sterile and one make. So, yeah, plus we've got lots of nationals wrap and there's all the Formula One coverage. There's heaps of Formula One news from our man Lewis, who's, who's on the ground at every Grand Prix and... Uh, Lots of national coverage, including the state race round from Calder. So it's another jam-packed issue. And and what I like about it, Bruce, what you are just talking about, things like that historic stuff, auto action are the only people who can do that. Don't see too many websites digging down deep into all this sort of stuff that's actually, you know, gets you a bit involved and gives you a sense of what motorsport's about, not just about supercars and who has clickbait headlines today. And, of course, we've also got our um, exclusive Oscar Piastri uh, column in his own words oh. uh, in our next issue too. So um, oh Oscar's penned his latest uh, column for us and uh, that's in the latest issue as well. So those people that want to know what Oscar thinks about what's going on in the world, it's another little, uh, another little gem. Beautiful. Okay. Well, we've spoken enough, so we're going to wrap it up now. So... Uh, PG, thanks for joining us from the Gold Coast. An hour behind, but a lifetime behind in terms of everything else on the Gold Coast. Well, you know, uh, there are some advantages in living in the past, as we as we older blokes work out from time to time. But nothing necessarily too bad. But yes, uh, I'll happily stick with what I got. Thanks very much. The four thirty a.m. sunrise is a bit of a killer. I can tell you that right now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 like you, I have a bit of a pussy problem. My cats have decided that sunrise is feed time, so they've been waking me up somewhere between four thirty and quarter to five, going, oh, "Dad, sun's up, time to get fed." And Bruce, thanks for your time as well, even though you don't like cats. But uh, we'll uh, we'll let you get away with that. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. We'll um, chat next week. See ya. All the best. That was the Auto Action Rev Limiter. We'd love you to subscribe and like our podcast and leave some comments. 
You never know when we're giving something away or we'll use your thoughts to guide the show. And don't forget to get your copy of Auto Action, the digital version. It's out every second Wednesday night and the print version is available on Thursday wherever you buy your magazines. Thanks for listening and thanks for understanding.